um, without further ado, we've been in a series that we've been calling Feel Your Emotions. And the truth is, um, for centuries, the church just has not done a really good job at talking about emotions. Um, the truth is, the thing that we've been saying throughout this series, and you've got to hear me on this, is you can't be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. You can't move further in your relationship with God and still emotionally be immature. So this series has been about us seeking to have a deeper grasp on our emotions. What we've been saying is that our emotions are like the red blinking light in your car saying something is wrong and something needs to be fixed. It's an indicator. It's God trying to speak to us. But for so long, especially within the context of the church, we've been taught that emotions are bad, right? So if you think negatively, you're like, well, just submit that thought to the Lord and forget about it, right? We've been taught that our emotions, we're supposed to suppress them. We're not supposed to talk about them. We shouldn't feel them or we're weak if we do feel them. But the truth is, We've learned that fear, jealousy, and shame ultimately reveal our struggle with God. The anger that we have ultimately reveals the wrestle that we have with God. Our emotions are actually trying to tell us something. And the reason that we've done this series is because I refuse to allow us to be a church that simply stuffs our emotions. I refuse to allow us to be a church that says, you know what, I'm just going to braze over that. I'm just going to let it just wash off my shoulders. It's not going to affect me. It doesn't hurt me. When people say stuff like that, it means they're emotionally immature and they don't have the stamina to be able to confront their issues. And listen, it's hard because when you start confronting your emotions and you start feeling them, what happens? You feel pain. And pain hurts, doesn't it? Pain doesn't feel good. But can I tell you something? God's not ignorant to your pain. He's not blind to it. He's not caught off guard by it. He's not struck by it. So the reason that we're doing this series is you got to hear me on this, is that our pain and us feeling our emotions is going to force us out of the kiddie pool into deeper water. (laughs) So here's what I want you to understand. The reason that most of us never grow up in spirituality and we never grow up as Christians and the the reason that emotionally we never grow up is because we stay in the shallow. Now, why do we stay in the shallow? We Exactly, we stay in the shallow because it's safe. I can see the bottom. I'm not going to drown. I have my, my, my five-year-old. He loves the kiddie pool. Like, he, it's a blast. This summer, I got so frustrated because all of, all of his other brothers, they, they can swim. I took that brother. I threw him in the deep. I'm like, bro, today you're going to learn how to. I'm sure he has some trauma, some scars. He'll work that out later in counseling. <laughs> Dad abandoned me and threw me in the water. But listen, I'm just telling you, the reason you're frustrated in your relationship with the Lord right now is because you're stuck in the kiddie pool. And God's saying, you'll never know the expansiveness and the fullness of my grace and mercy until you step out of the two feet of water and you dive into the deep and you don't know how to swim. You don't know what it looks like. You don't know what's going on. You're in uncharted waters. You don't know what's going to happen next. Am I going to drown? Am I going to swim? Is God going to save me? God, are you going to come through? What is going on? That's why we're doing this series. But the Psalms also reveal that our emotions, even the dark ones, help us understand God. They actually help us understand how God operates. So let me give you an example. Anger helps us understand God's hatred for sin. Think about it that way. Jealousy reveals his passion for people, that God is jealous for you. He wants you, all of you. 
fear, despair, and shame actually magnify the horror of the cross and his compassion for his people. Like that fear and that shame, like God felt the same thing as he laid down his life for you and for me. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. The fact that God is mysterious and unpredictable. The fact that God is mysterious and unpredictable, but here's what I want you to know. Regardless if he is mysterious and regardless if he is unpredictable, he is always good in everything that he does. Every single thing that he does is good. But because God is mysterious and because God is unpredictable, he frustrates us. (laughs) He frustrates our emotions. How many of you would make it life a whole lot easier if you just said, God, give me the playbook? (laughs) Like, I wouldn't be angry about my life right now if you just told me that this is what I was going to walk through. See, we serve a God who refuses to show us the future. We serve a God who refuses to tell us when he's going to come back, even though we watch all these things and we think we're smarter now because we, we've got YouTube, right? We're like, oh, I'm telling you, they got a scholar. He's like decoding the Bible and putting together all the things, and they know the exact date that God is coming back. How's that worked for everybody else that has tried to predict it? Like, we don't know. And if we're honest, it infuriates us. It infuriates us that we serve a God who is so good and so merciful, but he refuses to show us the future. Nobody in this room can say, I know what God's going to do next. Nobody can look at their life and with certainty say, in this next season, this is where God's going to move. Let's Let's take it a little bit further. Horrific things happen, and God rarely tells us why. (laughs) Horrific, tragic things happen to us or to other people, and we go, why? Why does that happen? Why abuse? Or God, why am I set up in a poor family and they had a rich family? Why could I not be born into the rich family? Or why was I born into a dysfunctional family and my best friend was born into a healthy family? Why? If you're asking these questions, I want you to understand that you are in good company. Because most of the scriptural authors begin to ask the same questions. But here's what you need to know before we dive into this. It'll be on the screen. God provides us with what we desperately need, not with what we think we require. So here's the thing. Because God knows the full picture... He gives us what we need, not what we think we need. (laughs) How many of you know you're like, God, I'm just telling you, I would be happy if you gave me this. God, I'm just telling you, my life would be a whole lot more less stressful if this puzzle piece would just come together. And God's like, that's not what you need. And you're like, God, I'm pretty sure it is. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I need some more money. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I need a relationship to be happier, to be fulfilled. God provides us with what we desperately need, not with what we think we require. And he does this by the use of paradox. Meaning this. Now this is going to sound confusing, but let me explain it. God, yes, God actually draws us to the darkness. In the midst of what appears awful and painful and horrific If you feel it, he reveals something beautiful. 
But if you're always running away from that, you're always going to miss out on what God is trying to do in it. And listen, let's just be honest. His methods and his ways are mysterious and they're unpredictable. And many times they're extremely frustrating. But I'm quite sure I know why it works this way now. It works this way because he orchestrates difficult circumstances to provoke us to ask hard questions. And the hard questions invite us to trust and know him with a depth we've never had. So when pain happens, when the hardships of life happens, it provokes us to dive deeper. God is compelling us to get out of the kiddie pool. It used to be a practice of shepherds. They'd watch their flock and they'd always have one sheep that was like, "Hmm, I wonder what's over there. You probably be me. It's like, this is the same boring grass I've been seeing for like five years. I wonder what's over there. And so you have a sheep that begins to wander. And so the shepherd notices that the sheep is wandering. And the shepherd does something that seems evil. He takes the sheep and he breaks the sheep's legs with his staff. And you go, What? And as the sheep lays there going, I I can't believe you just did this. I'm a part of your flock. You just broke my legs. Not cool, bro. (laughs) And the shepherd picks it up, puts it on and says, listen, this is going to be a journey. It's going to be a process of healing, but I'm going to walk with you through the entire process. But what the sheep didn't know, if he would walk 12 more steps, he was about to fall off a cliff. You see, What if some of the pain in your life is not because God is angry at you? It's not because he is frustrated with you, but he's actually inviting you into deeper waters. That he's actually inviting you into a place to go, look, I know you're wounded, but you're going to have to trust me on this one. I know it doesn't make sense. I know you don't like my methods. I know I'm unpredictable, but you're going to have to trust me on this one. And we go, okay, but God, I just don't like the way you do it. (laughs) I just don't like these methods. We say things like, I would just be less stressed if you just show me the playbook, God. God, I wouldn't be angry at you if you would have told me my business was going to fail because then I would have known how to prepare. God, I wouldn't be frustrated at you if my relationship would just work. Listen, if you want to be emotionally healthy, you have to hear what I'm about to say. You may not like God's methods. You may not understand why he does the things that he does. You may be bitter because you feel like God ripped you off. But hear me, his mysterious method of persuasion is the path of pain. Let me say it another way. Pain opens the heart to finally change its direction. Pain opens opens the heart to go, whoa, whoa, time out, something's going on. Maybe the pain is there because you're headed in the wrong direction. Maybe, listen, I said this in the first service, and I just want you to let this sink in for a moment. Maybe he loves you enough to wound you now so you don't live a life of wounds. Maybe he loves you enough to not take the pain away 
because you're still headed the wrong direction. And so like a good shepherd, he breaks our legs. He's not an evil father. He doesn't break our legs and then just run off and leave. No, he picks us up. He says, I'm going to be with you through the process. I'm going to nurse you back to health. And then I'm going to explain to you why we had to do this. I'm going to say something, and it's going to make some of you pretty mad, okay? So let me give you a moment just to explain it. Give me a moment to explain it. God hurts us, and he does so intentionally. God hurts us, and he does so intentionally. Why? Because all struggle invites us into this place to wrestle and struggle with the Lord. In the struggle, we're forced to finally reckon with the anger. In the struggle, we're forced to finally reckon with the shame. In the struggle, we're forced to finally reckon with the anxiety and the depression. In the struggle is where we embrace the mystery of God, and instead of running from it, God begins to reveal something beautiful. Listen to what the psalmist says, because he's at the same place. This is Psalms 80, verse 4 through 6. How long? Stop there. (laughs) We could do a whole sermon series on just that. Because some of us are asking the same question. Some of you, it infuriates you when people look at you and say, you know what, it's just a season, bro. You're like, it's not a season. This has been my life. It's not a season. I've been in pain for as long as I can remember. So you're asking the same question that the psalmist says, how long? And he says, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? Now watch this. He starts blaming you fed, the, you fed them with the bread of your tears. You made them drink tears by the bullful. You made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies to mock us. So here's what the author is saying. He's, been, he's saying, I've been in so much pain, I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can't think straight. And the only food that I know is, sleeping my, is, is crying myself to sleep. It's the only thing I know. Sounds unfair, doesn't it? It sounds miserable, doesn't it? It also sounds pretty honest. That it's a man going, you know what, God, I am angry at you. And I do believe that you caused this, and I'm pretty frustrated. Here's what I want you to understand. The source of pain is not God in this text, but it's the mockery of the neighbors and of the friends how many know many of us are not living the life that we want to live because we're so concerned with what other people think of us? We forget about what God actually thinks about us. We forget that we can actually formulate our own opinions about things. We get so focused on what other people are going to think, and that's where most of our pain comes from. Yet, It is God who is behind all suffering, shaping its form, and orchestrating its direction. So let me put it this way. Doubt, confusion, even radical struggle are required before we surrender. So let me say it this way. Surrender is not possible without a fight. It's not possible without a fight. Because here's what's going to happen. God, I want all of you. And God says, oh, really? You want all of me? Okay, then give me all of you. No. (laughs) God says, no, I want this part. 
No, no, God, you can, I'm, you're, I'm not giving you that. That's too shameful. That's too embarrassing. I don't want people to know that. That's a part of my story I don't want to own. I don't like. And God says, no, full surrender requires everything. So what do we do? We wrestle. We fight. We shake our fist at God and say, you can have it all but this one. But hear me, the struggle is part of the process of transformation. How will you ever change? How will we ever grow up in the Lord if we're constantly running from the struggle? Short answer, you won't. We'll never grow up if we're always running away from the struggle. We'll never experience the fullness and the depth of God in the two foot of water. It's the reason why you have people that come in churches all across the world and give their life over to Jesus. And it's this honeymoon phase of like, yes, God is so good. And then real life happens. And they quit because it's hard. I, well, I wasn't expecting that. I don't like that. I didn't like the way that that hit me or connected with me. Listen, can I be honest with you? Life is too hard and too difficult for you to stay in the shallow waters. And you're never going to get what you genuinely need until you lose your safety net. And you dive into waters that you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what it looks like. But you're just stepping out of the boat and saying, God, I don't know how this is going to change me. I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm just going to trust you in the process. I'm going to give myself permission to feel all the things that I need to feel. If I need to feel anger, if I need to feel all those things, I'm going to feel them. But I'm going to go on the journey. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. This is why you hear us all the time talking about, man, next step coming up this Sunday. If, you, if you've never been through that, that's why get in that. Just get around other people that can help you in this journey. That's why we want you on a team so that you can rub elbows with other people, get to know other people. That's why we talk about life groups all the time. You need somebody walking with you on that journey. Now, I think that most of us can eventually get to the place where we begin to say, okay, God, there's probably a purpose in my pain. And so we start trying to shift our perspective and go, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? I think most of us can eventually get to that place. Like if we're willing to do some hard work, some hard work, digging up some things, and we can start finally finding the diamonds in the middle of the darkness, right? Right? But I think the part that most of us struggle with is that when we're struggling and we're feeling all the pain, but yet God is still silent. (laughs) I think that's the part that we really struggle with because you're wrestling, you're suffering, you're feeling the pain, you're creating a quiet space. You finally, maybe you finally got a moment where you're like, okay, no kids around. I'm just, it's just me by myself. It's quiet. It's silent. I'm going to pursue the Lord. Nothing. Listen. Listen what Psalms 55, 1 through 3 says. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. This implies that God has already ignored his plea. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. Watch what he says. My thoughts trouble me and I'm distraught because of what my enemy is saying because of the threats of the wicked. Silence drives us mad, doesn't it? 
drives us crazy. We don't like it. Especially when you finally take all this time to finally go, okay, God, I'm going to connect with you. And you really need an answer. Maybe there's something in your life that is really just conflicting you. Do I stay at this job? Do I marry this person? Do I do this? Do I do that? And you're like, God, I need an answer. And so you prepare all this time to seek him. And you finally get to this place where you're pursuing him and nothing. The best way that I can describe it is we have a 10-year-old. He's our oldest. And, uh, you know, he's kind of getting into this phase where, you know, he, he knows everything now. He's not at the place where he has his own opinion about life now. He came to me the other day. He's like, Dad, what is this on my forehead? I think it's a zit. Am I getting older? I'm like, yeah, that's a zit, son. But he's in this phase where he kind of knows or he thinks he knows everything. But one of the things that drives me crazy about kids sometimes as a parent, and you'll know this if you're a parent, that you'll sit with your kids and you have this moment where you feel like, man, we're really connecting here. They're just really, he's, in my mind, I'm thinking, he's thinking like, dad is just so wise and the Holy Spirit is just engulfing this place right now. And I'm just soaking in all of his wisdom. Then I say, son, what do you think about that? And he's like, huh? (laughs) I just wasted an hour pouring my life out to you, trying to help you. And you're like, what? Would you say that? I don't really get it. Uh, but let's take that in the context of our relationship with the Lord. We pour our heart out there. God, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm walking through. And then all of a sudden, it feels like we're shouting into this void because God doesn't answer. And this silence causes us to panic because we want a response. There's nothing more infuriating as a father when I tell my kids to do something and they just walk off. They don't give me a response. Silence makes us feel trapped, doesn't it? It makes us feel angry. Many of us find ourselves in a desperate situation and we need a response from the Lord. We're going, God, where are you? I need a response. What do I do next? Listen, David found himself in a very similar situation. Let me read it to you in Psalms 39. Now, let me give you a little context before I read it. David's done some pretty wicked stuff, okay? He had one of his best friends murdered. He slept with somebody else's wife. And because of all this stuff, God is disciplining him. He's living out the consequences of the things that he's, that he's walked through. And he doesn't like it, and he's angry at the Lord. And so he's angry because he's been crying out to God, and God hasn't responded to him. So David is thinking, maybe God's just angry at me. So he decides, well, if God's going silent, guess what? I'm going silent. Well, if God's not going to pursue me, guess what? I'm not pursuing him. So this is what we read. It says, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. So David gets into this mode where he's like, you know what? I'm going to try to be silent. I'm going to try to control my tongue. I'm going to try to control my words. He says, I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So here's what he's telling God. Like, God, when I'm around people that just frustrate the fire out of me, I'm not going to say anything, God. This would solve a lot of Facebook issues. 
So he said, so I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. Now watch this. This is kind of comical. He goes, I stayed silent, but my anguish increased. He says, my heart grew hot within me. How many of you ever been in that? You're like, I'm going to walk into this situation. I promise I'm going to play it cool. And they start saying things like, God, please let me say something. And you feel it like rising up. And you're like, oh, I'm about to let him have it. This is what he's feeling. My heart grew hot within me. Then watch this. While I meditated, he's going, while I prayed, the fire burned within my heart. Then he goes, you know what? Can't take it. So he says, then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of many years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Now, we later learn in verse 9, if you keep reading the text, we later learn the reason that David was silent is because he was angry. He says this in verse 9. He says, I was silent and I would not open my mouth because you are the one who has done this to me. So he's like full on like, God, it's your fault. It's your fault I'm in the mess that I'm in. It's your fault that I think the thoughts that I think. It's your fault that I'm walking through this. Ironic, isn't it? God goes silent, so David goes silent. The tragic mistake that David makes, though, is that he thinks God is silent because God is angry at him. Don't fall in the same trap he did. Because sometimes silence is the only thing that exposes our delusion and desperation for the Lord. Because once again, silence forces us to struggle. You know what I've tried to get really good at as a pastor? Is when people call me asking for an answer, I never give them one. And in the phone call or the, the meeting always goes like, so I mean, like, what should I do? I don't know. Ask God. I don't know. I'm not going to be your out. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, you have to dive into the struggle for yourself and go, what does God want me to do? What, what, is, what does God want me to do? It's an easy way for somebody to say, well, this is black and white and this is what God wants. It's not that easy. I don't know your story. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what road you've walked down. So I'm not giving you an answer because I'm not God. We say it like this. In the very, my job as a pastor is to do the best job that I can to try to present you with the truth. And it's your job to go home and make a decision. Because at the end of the day, you're going to stand before God responsible for your own life. So here's what I want you to understand. Silence reveals, if we're really paying attention to our emotions, that we want God only if we don't get any more suffering. (laughs) See, it, it begins to reveal the tension that we have with the Lord, the struggle that we have with the Lord. See, if we spend our lives running from the struggle, we eventually lose our ability to cry out. If you lose your ability to cry out, you lose your ability to grow up in the Lord. Now, hear me on this. I'm not downplaying your pain. I'm not downplaying what you've walked through. 
Here's what I'm saying. God can use it. Because the greater question is this. I fully and fundamentally believe that God does not cause your suffering. Sorry, that he doesn't intentionally allow things to happen in your life. But it is theologically inaccurate to assume that he is not aware of the suffering or that it thwarts his plans or purposes. So the greater question has to be this. If God has the power and the ability to remove your suffering, why doesn't he? He doesn't because he can use it. He doesn't take it away because he can use it. He's not downplaying your pain. He's just trying to say, maybe your heart's moving in the wrong direction. And maybe he loves us enough to wound us in that moment so that we don't live the rest of our lives like this. But tragically, we believe that God wants flesh and blood. Tragically, we believe that God's angry at us and he's coming for vengeance, right? We think of him like the older brother thought of him in the story of the prodigal son. So before I read it, let me set it up. If you haven't heard the story before, there's a story of a father and he has two sons. One son chooses to stay with him. The other says, God, give me all my property, all my inheritance, all the money that I am owed. The father gives it to him. He goes out and he lives a crazy lifestyle for a few years, blows all of his money. He's hanging out with prostitutes. And then he comes to this, this moment in his life where he realizes I've got nothing left. And he decides to go back home thinking that his father is going to deject him and reject him. Thinking like, how is dad ever going to take me back into his family after everything that I've done to cause damage to his name? And then something so countercultural happens. The dad never asks, where's my money? What were you doing with it? And where did you go? He never asks any of those questions. The first thing he says is, my son is home. Let's throw a party. See, that shows you the character and nature of God. Whatever you've walked through, whatever you've been through, you're always welcome. Yet again, it's why I don't give people an answer. Because at the end of the day, I believe as a pastor, my job is just to set a table and get some people around that table. And I'm not going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. My job is to help all of us walk through a journey. And as God moves you in that, that we just help you in that journey. So you have this story that's unfolding where the son is welcome back home. The dad's throwing this party. Then you have the brother who stayed. He's going, wait, hold on. This isn't fair. (laughs) This isn't fair. I stayed. I never got a party. So this is where we read. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So why do I read that story? I read that story because the older brother viewed God as a slave master, a hard boss who wasn't interested in him. The brother labored for his father in a way we often labor for God. 
Meaning the reason that we wrestle and struggle with God sometimes is because we look at people that simply don't deserve his grace and mercy and God pours it out and we go, oh wait, I've been following the rules, God. What's going on here? And we become religious robots who soullessly labor away forgetting that God simply just wants to celebrate us. Like God wants to dive into the intricacies of your life and celebrate the giftings that he's given you. But we get so caught up in having to be these soulless robots that follow the rules that we forget that God loves us so much that he wants to celebrate us. The greatest mystery on the planet is not how God uses the struggle. If you hear anything that I say today, just remember this. The greatest mystery on the planet is that God fully knows us and he still wants to be with us. Think about that for a moment. God knows every deep, dark secret that you've never told a soul. He knows your thoughts that you've never shared with anybody. And he goes, I want to be with you. Listen to me. There is a difference when somebody walks into the room and they're there just because they love you. And there is a difference between when somebody shows up out of obligation. And you feel the difference, don't you? Well, bro, I just figured I'd show up in the hospital. They say you're going to die in a few days, so I just wanted to say my goodbyes. <laughs> wow, you can leave. You know, like, I don't even want you here. Or, hey, I thought you were, uh, you know, I, I heard you were having a rough time, so I just wanted to pick up the phone and say I'm thinking about you. There's a difference between obligation and then a father that says, no, no, no. I'm here simply because I love you. I'm not here based on what you've done for me. I'm not here based on what you haven't done for me. I'm not here based on how good of a life you've lived. I'm here because I'm your father and I love you. Greatest mystery on the planet is that God knows us and wants to be with us. So with that in mind, this is why he goes to such great lengths to disrupt us from pursuing any other lover than himself. It's why he doesn't take away our suffering. He doesn't take it away because he can use it. He doesn't take it away because he he says, I refuse to allow you to settle in the two foot of water. He doesn't take it away because he says, no, I want you to dive into the mystery of who I am. I want you to have some depth. I want you to have some soul. I want you to really experience the fullness of who Jesus is. And through that mystery, God begins to reveal his goodness. As I bring this to the close and the band comes up, I just want to remind you of one thing before we close. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what story you're living in your life right now, The scriptures teach us that there is no height, no depth that can ever separate us from the love of God. So if you walked into this room this morning believing the lie that what I have done has separated me from the Father, I want you to understand it's a lie. It's not true. There is nothing that you can ever do where God says, you know what, I abandon you, I leave you. Now, let's be honest for a moment. 
it may feel like it. <laughs> it feels like it when he's silent. It feels like it when he's unpredictable and we don't understand why he does the things that he does and we want an answer. But here's what I've learned in my own life. And you've probably heard this said before. In pain, you have two decisions to make. You can become bitter or you can become better. It's your choice. What do you want? You know what I want for you and for this church? I want you to experience the fullness of God. And to experience the fullness of God, you've got to reckon with your emotions. You've got to, you've got to reckon with the family that you grew up in. Some of us have never healed from childhood. We wonder why we are the way that we are. It's just what we've been taught. It's literally created pathways in our brain that we talk to our kids because that's how our father talked to us. We think negatively about ourselves because our mother thought negatively about herself. We think that we can never accomplish anything great because nobody else in our family ever did. Some of us have never healed from the wounds of childhood. God says, man, if you want the depth of who I am, the expansiveness of my grace and my mercy, Let's dive into this together. And sure, you're going to flop around in the deep like Peter did when I chunked him in. You're going to kick. You're going to scream. You're not going to like it. But eventually, you learn how to swim. And all of a sudden, you're beginning to go, oh, my God, why didn't I do this sooner? begin to step back and it all begins to become clear again. Remember, you only see in part. God sees the full picture. So we can argue back and forth. God, I don't like your methods. You're unpredictable. I don't feel safe here. God was never designed to be safe in the first place. But he is good. He is good. Even when we don't understand it, even when we don't like it, 